Hey everybody and welcome back to another episode of Every Horror Movie on Netflix. I'm Patrick and I'm here again with Chris. Hello. And Steven. Hi. How are you guys holding up in the uh, pandemic hell world this week? Every day is a new fucking nightmare. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I second that. Have you guys been watching or consuming anything that's been getting you through the stay-at-home boredom? Um, last night I started watching the new Shutter series, Cursed Films, uh, which I was initially, I mean, it's like some of my favorite movies like Poltergeist are covered in it. So like that drew me in. But at first I thought it sounded kind of gross. Like, I don't really like this notion of like, like a film being cursed and the sort of like pop psychology and mysticism that surrounds that because in a lot of cases like real people died and it just seems kind of lurid to to look at the legacies of those films in that way yeah but i know what you mean like like poltergeist people yes. like oh everyone's dead i'm like huh wait who died supposedly as a result of poltergeist the little girl <laughs> died um oh. i think while filming poltergeist 3 and I think, like, the older sister in the first movie was, like, strangled to death not long after it came out. I haven't finished that episode yet. But it, it, to my surprise, uh, so even though each episode centers on a specific movie, um, it begins with, of course, The Exorcist, and then the next episode is The Omen, There is there's, like, an ongoing narrative about, like, why it's kind of gross to look at these the histories of these films through that lens of them being cursed so it's it's a lot more thought-provoking than i would have thought but it is very strange that each episode is about a specific film and yet there's this thread running through it so i think like the bad reviews you're seeing from critics coming out of this are uh a little misguided but it's not their fault because they were only given the first two episodes so i don't know that sounds intriguing you have shutter check it out i thought it was a good time I don't know of any cursed film stories quite as intense as the poltergeist uh, epic you guys are describing, but this reminds me of the story Steven Spielberg tells about getting like an early copy of Paranormal Activity, like before it really became a thing. And I forget what he says happened exactly, but I think like all the doors and windows in his house like spontaneously closed after he watched it or something, which I mean is obviously like total bullshit. But I love it and also like sort of buy into it and it makes that film that already has scared me a lot in my life even scarier to me and I kind of love it. I think the most cursed film may be Casablanca because everyone who was involved with that movie is now dead. <laughs> wow. Yeah, okay. that and a lot of other um, movies from the same year and era. Um, I haven't really been watching anything horror-related, unless you consider erotic thrillers to be horror. What erotic thrillers have you been watching? I watched Chloe on Netflix, which is the the sordid tale of Julianne Moore, who hires a prostitute played by Amanda Seyfried to uh, tempt her husband, who is Liam Neeson. Directed by Adam Egoyan, right? 
Yeah, you're right. And yeah. uh, it was, you know, it was interesting. Um, it, it, it has some thrills. It has some surprises. It has some twists. It has some completely laughable plot points in my mind. I laughed aloud at things at the climax of the film that I don't think I was supposed to be laughing at. <laughs> um, I give it a cue it. Nice. Well, last night I uh, threw on the first season of Hannibal. Um, Allison and with Allison with a Y and I were talking about this show um, a week or two ago, which we both loved when it came out several years ago. And I was like, "Shit, we're holed up. I'm gonna find the cheapest fucking copy I can of Hannibal season one on Blu-ray, and we're gonna watch that shit." Got it for five dollars, starting it last night, and it was perhaps even better than I remembered. If anybody listening has not seen this shit, it is chilling. It's gorgeously done. It's weirdly funny. It's wonderfully acted and just tremendous. I mean, Silence of the Lambs is one of my favorite fucking movies of all time, but the first season of Hannibal may be the just definitive like screen take on Hannibal Lecter and that whole story. It's phenomenal. I admit I have not seen that shit. Yeah. You should check I it out. I am the man you are talking about. <laughs> I'll mail it down to you when we're done with it. Oh, that'd be great. So before we get to the, the true business at hand today, though, we have an extremely important new segment to introduce. So long-time fans of the show may remember that we started this entire journey by watching Spawn on our very first episode ever. And uh, Spawn is something that's always kind of held a perverse fascination for me. Its creator, Todd McFarlane, is a total maniac. The comics that it's that the movie is based on are just absurd popcorn, crazy ass shit. And over the last year or two, Todd McFarlane has been uh, angling really hard to get a new movie of Spawn made. And we've kind of been following this news. I think we've talked about it a few times on the show. But Todd just kind of has... Um, He's, he's a wild character. He's an outsized character, and he's always trying to convince the public that he's going to make this film. Uh, Steven, I, I know you you take issue with a few of the, the basic precepts behind this film. Maybe you can help uh, explain just why this concept sounds so bonkers. Well, I mean, the brief history of it is he, he had been kind of teasing this on Twitter and in interviews like, two or three years ago, and then he actually posted on Twitter a picture of the first page of the screenplay that he is writing himself. He is also determined to direct it himself. He claims that there are Academy Award winning people that are working on this film with him, both actors and producers. At some point, Blumhouse got involved, and he claims that he can make this for $10 million. Um, I don't know if that's too much or too little, but the basic idea that it, that he's been pushing for a while is that the movie is called Spawn, but Spawn is like Jaws in this movie. The movie's really about the detectives from the comics, Sam and Twitch, investigating a series of happenings that all seem to be linked to Spawn, who's this mysterious menace in the background. Right, it's like Spawn without Spawn, which sounds uh, kind of like a terrible idea. But Absolutely most- terrible. The latest update is that apparently Jamie Foxx, who's been long been in talks for the lead role of Spawn, uh, is still on board as of like a couple days ago, right, Patrick? Yeah, so we, we're introducing this segment because we kind of want to just start chronicling the ongoing uh, shifts in this saga on the podcast whenever Todd shares some some new morsel of information about this project. Um, because this guy is just, 
he's a wild self-promoter. He's just such a character. And, you know, he, he, I think he's kind of trying to will this into being by talking about it. Cause he's been talking about it mm-hmm. for a few years now. I'll be delighted if it ever actually comes out. Um, just as delighted as I'll be to, sh- to share these, uh, these dispatches. But the most recent update is he says that there is, this is a quote, there is someone, a major talent behind the camera we had our eyes on and it didn't work out. It happens. But we didn't lose anyone because we never had them. So we're on the trail of someone else now. It would be a giant headline if we can get the person we're looking at. And he also says that Jamie Foxx is, quote, maybe even more enthusiastic about doing this than I am. Even if it's only two of us, it will be Jamie and myself. Which I have to say, a Spawn movie with just Jamie Foxx and Todd McFarlane just like a two-hander also sounds like something <laughs> I need to see. So so Todd McFarlane is acting in the film as every other character that isn't Spawn. <laughs> yes, yes. Give it to me. Serve it to me on a silver platter. I want it. Directed by Todd Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, I love the idea of this because if nothing else, it, it's going to be something to behold. You know, it could be... It could be some kind of weird masterpiece. It could also be like Glenn Danzig's new movie, Veronica. Um, we we don't know what we're in for, but I'm sure it'll be memorable if this ever gets off the ground. Yeah, and I mean, notably, like Todd has also claimed he's going to direct this himself, and he has never directed anything. So, I yeah, I mean, I just I can't help thinking it's never actually going to get made. Um, I mean, the fact that it, that it is happening in this like sort of superhero saturated age of movies certainly, you know, I think bodes well for it happening. But it's just been in development for so long that I feel skeptical about it. But I'm rooting for it to get made because I feel like it's going to be just it's going to be a ride. It's going to be something fascinating to behold no matter what. I love a good auteur vision. Yeah. Anyways, that's the first episode of <laughs> probably many to come of uh spawn news i don't know we'll come up with some catchy title for this but we're, we're, we're gonna bring you you know the the developments on this as it pans just out. just some service to our our longtime fans yes our longtime yes. fans. the ones who go way back to episode zero 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 august 2017 i feel like bob seeger just reminiscing <laughs> about the dates of our previous bodies of work <laughs> all right well now that we've gotten all that out of the way what did we watch this week? Well, you know, last episode we watched Green Room, and, and you guys uh, complained a little bit that uh, we had chosen a, a uniquely depressing movie to watch during this whole pandemic thing. So we decided to watch <laughs> perhaps the only thing more upsetting to watch during a quarantine, the 1995 film Outbreak. And of course, this is not a horror film exactly, but we decided to watch it because, you know, it's it's uh it's topical right now i guess and uh it's also been quite popular on netflix and you know we're nothing if not horrors for a little uh little extra clicks because people have been watching the film does anybody want to give uh an initial impression or perhaps a little setup for this film sure this is a this movie comes to us from 1995 and it has every a-lister you would expect in a thriller from 1995 Mm -hmm. except Mm -hmm. for ed harris Mm -hmm. we have dustin hoffman we have renee russo we have kevin spacey who i found out because he seems a little fresh he seems a little green in 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 this movie 1995 was kevin spacey's breakout year because not only did this come out but seven came out in 95 the usual suspects came out in 95 oh wow so he went from like zero to hero 
1995. <laughs> well, so to speak. <laughs> um, On his way back down to zero. Yeah. We got Cuba Gooding Jr. We've got, uh, what's his face? Donald Sutherland. <laughs> Donald Sutherland. We got Morgan Freeman. Patrick Dempsey. Uh, we got everybody. Yeah. And they work for some uh, science program within the army with a weird acronym. And uh, outbreak breaks out. First, there's a horrible disease in Africa, and they it ends up in California. And basically the problem for the majority of the movie is there's an outbreak in a small town in California, and our heroes are trying to find the source of the disease and cure it before the whole town dies but meanwhile the military brass that they all operate under are planning basically to nuke the whole city to contain the virus and kill 20,000 Americans. To contain the virus and also to cover up a very dark secret. A, a, A dark secret which is that in the prologue we see that the US Army came into this African village that was under this horrible plague took one look and then just bombed it because it was too deadly to to deal with um and they don't want the facts of that coming out although that almost seems quaint when you consider the number of atrocities that kind of are acted out around the world by the u.s and how no one really cares once they come to light a lot about this movie seems very very quaint i think that that could be my one word review for it actually (laughs) You know, it's funny that you mentioned Ed Harris because I had I had seen this movie on the top 10 list on Netflix when it came out and just kind of breezed past it. And when we decided to do it for the podcast, I hadn't really read much more about it. And so when I went to pull it up last night, I was like, oh, yeah, I kind of remember that there are like some kind of 90s, a bunch of 90s big, big names in this. And for some reason, Ed Harris was one of the ones that was absolutely in my head. I was like, oh, yeah, Ed Harris is definitely in this. No, he's not. Got passed over. Yeah. But yeah, that opening prologue, this movie gets started. It gets moving really fast. And in the first, you know, five minutes, I think we have this prologue in 1967 in Zaire where the army or, or the U.S. comes in, finds this village that's been infected, including some, some U.S. soldiers who have been infected and are dying. And they pull the wool over everybody's eyes and just fucking bomb the place. And it's it's pretty shocking. It's a lot of action and a lot of like fairly intriguing setup in a very short period of time. Yeah, I, I, I was really taken with the prologue, even though this just has kind of the the look of a typical Hollywood blockbuster of the era. Like, there's not a whole lot of personality in it. Uh, but it's, but <laughs> well, it's, it, it has personality, but it's definitely the personality of a '90s thriller blockbuster. <laughs> yeah. Um, with like, I don't know who did the music for this, but it's it's that music. You Dude, know, it's James, <laughs> Newton, it's James Newton Howard. I mean, that's yeah. all. And I mean, that's all you need to say. It's James Newton right. Howard. It's got the, like, condensed, like, blue font that was on, like, the credits of every thriller in the 90s. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know. should be noted, this was this was directed by Wolfgang Peterson. Oh, who's, right. Who's famous for... He's famous right. for Das Boot and The NeverEnding Story and then kind of a string of, you know, bland 90s thrillers. What else In is the he Line of for? Fire, one of the quintessential 90s thrillers, if you ask me. Air Force One. Yeah. He's yeah. a... Yeah, a real journeyman, <laughs> that Wolfgang. Oh, Honestly, sure. I really enjoyed the just the general vibe of this movie. About two thirds of the way through, I was like, I mean, this is like a you know, it's a cliched statement, but I was like, they don't make movies like this anymore. You know, they don't make movies where they just pull in like top tier actors to 
do uh, you know it's it's kind of an interesting cross between like a, a drama because there's there's a decent amount of character stuff that they're trying to do. I'm not saying it's all good, but there's a decent amount of character stuff that they're trying to do. It's not like some action hero like generic Jack Reacher, uh, Jason Bourne, whatever kind of thing. Like you don't get this sort of interesting hybrid between like sort of a list drama and uh and and thriller i guess anymore and i you kind do. of enjoyed the nostalgia trip you do if you're watching a steven soderbergh movie i think he's the only one who still makes movies right. that, that approach right. this kind of aesthetic um and he also made a much better movie about a pandemic um contagion which yes. maybe i'll talk a little bit about later but but yeah, he's really the only one who who's able to capture the spirit of these movies that are just they're vehicles for big acting, big explosions, big thrills, and no brains. And it's kind of nice to like watch something like this in the light of an actual pandemic and feel like I can turn my brain off. Like it all just seems so so kind of silly and to to borrow Chris's term again, quaint. I can just sit back and enjoy the helicopter chase. <laughs> it didn't really make me think about what's going on in the world right now at all. Yeah, really? I mean, all right. Well, for me, I thought some of the imagery and stuff reminded me too much of what's going on in the world right now and i thought it was unsettling and quaint in the wrong sort of way um where it, it i don't know it almost seemed like it was in poor taste um yeah but i mean how could they have known <laughs> um how could they have known there would ever be a disease i was a little disappointed because i did think it was a little dumber than i was expecting especially because the first half hour to an hour really kind of sets you up for something more cerebral um in fact i was like for a second i was like is michael Crichton writing this and i thought the same thing (laughs) and i was sure that he didn't because i i know enough about michael Crichton to know he didn't participate in this but i was actually like this has all the hallmarks especially in the first hour where it's like okay we have heroes who work for like some agency in the government with an inscrutable acronym you know we got characters being introduced to each other by their resumes we have the colleague who is also the love interest um we have the inciting incident in the third world country it's like all these things that are like michael Crichton hallmarks uh, but you know i would rather have seen a movie that was more like the andromeda strain or something as much as i would have have problems with the whole approach of the andromeda strain where it's like just give me the scientists working in the lab like that early stuff where they're investigating the disease was so much more compelling to me than what it turns into which you already alluded to a helicopter chase it kind of turns into just kind of re- really bonkers 90s action that's like <laughs> yeah it's like set like a piece buddy after movie set <laughs> <piece>. <laughs> yeah the last half hour 45 minutes is sheer insanity and i was screaming and laughing at things that were supposed to be played with a straight face um we'll, we'll talk about more about that later this movie but, ta- it does take itself really really seriously and like the screenplay is so it's so 90s. Like, every line has to be memorable and has to be big and heroic, no matter how banal it might be. Right. And I kind of love that, because everybody's so fucking committed to it. Like, the best scenes in the movie for me are when Dustin Hoffman and Morgan Freeman are just going at it with each other. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. And that's great. And, 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 you know, you have those high-tier 
uh, high caliber actors and they're delivering the goods. And so you have some really good scenes between Dustin Hoffman and Morgan Freeman. You have some really good scenes between Dustin Hoffman and Rene Russo. And it gives you those dog food moments where yes. it's like, you know, here's just something that's really emotional and that you can like get invested in and almost shed a tear to. But is it earned? Does it really make sense with what we've seen so far? Not really, but whatever. You could replace so many lines in this movie with the that famous line from A Few Good Men. You want the truth? You can't handle the truth. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I could probably fit that in convincingly like 30 times in this movie. That's how over the top it is. I appreciate the number of times that the writers fit the line, we're in deep fucking shit into Dustin Hoffman's yeah. mouth. I enjoyed that very much. <laughs> I mean, it's only twice, I think, but it was it was enough for me. There's a lot of uh, Donald Sutherland has a lot of permutations of son of a bitch as well, which I really oh, yeah. enjoy. Oh, Donald <laughs> he says Sutherland it like just, six different ways. Donald Sutherland just oozing villainy in this movie. I fucking love and it. You know what I liked about Donald Sutherland's character? As much as a, he was a villain, you could definitely understand his point of view. Yeah. I mean, I, or yeah. maybe I'm just a psychopath. Oh, I I disliked him because of his original sin of fucking blowing up the the original infection and covering it up for decades. Oh well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> there is that. See, this this is what maybe bothered me most. Even I mean, because it's an uneven movie. Perhaps maybe the thing I could I could uh, complain most about is just it's. You know, it is inconsistent. It seems like several different genres mooshed together. And the one that felt most uncomfortable to me was just like the kind of dopey sort of marital stress comedy early on. Oh, where, my God. Like Dustin Hoffman <laughs> is like bathing his dogs as he's like trying to talk to his soon to be ex-wife, Rene Russo, over the phone. And the dogs are like jumping out of the bathtub and running onto the couch. And I was like, what kind of movie am I watching here? It's so like Kramer versus Kramer, which is another Dustin Hoffman movie. <laughs> That's like a third of this is like them just having these constant tete-a-tetes over like what, like, I don't, I don't even know how to explain it. Like, I don't know how to explain their relationship, except that it seems too contentious for them to possibly have any affection for each other. And yet they still seem to <laughs> there. Yeah. There's just a lot of weird cutesy humor shoehorned into especially that relationship but also several others including like dustin hoffman's character's relationship with kevin spacey's character i like that stuff you know it was good character stuff and it's good to have a little bit of levity in a movie where you're seeing like you know horrific uh supposedly disturbing portrayals of of sick people and dying people where i don't know like how do we feel about all that i want to linger on this relationship for a minute though because i did have some thoughts about it like one the 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 weird moments of levity really stood out to me but i kind of needed them in the context of that relationship because Every scene is Dustin Hoffman, like, fucking gaslighting Renee Russo and, like, screaming at her, telling her what she's going to do. And it made me very uncomfortable. Did, did you guys have a similar reaction to that? I did not pick up on that. No, I see what you're saying, but I mean, it's, it's clear that they have a dysfunctional relationship and they're not friends at the beginning. And then they come together and learn how to love each other again because... I don't know. They were working together again and almost died. I don't know. It just seems like he's like so fully in control. Honestly, it seemed like to me like she was putting him in his place most of the time. But I don't yeah, know. Yeah, but I mean, that's kind of the problem of this movie for me is 
not only does it feel like there's a lot of different genres, but there's a lot of subplots and there's a lot of scenes that just seem a little underdeveloped. And like, so this is kind of a long movie, right? It's like two hours, eight minutes or something like that. And a lot of the scenes feel rushed to me and like they end too abruptly or they start too late. And like yes. a, a lot of this character stuff doesn't have time to breathe and grow. So I could have done with, you know, maybe 10 minutes less of helicopter antics and 10 minutes more of padding the conversations around Morgan Freeman and Rene Russo to kind of better understand these relationships. Yeah, I feel like Rene Russo wasn't given enough room to breathe. You know, Dustin Hoffman's like the real star of the movie, but in in almost every scene with them, I ended up just feeling kind of bad for her. And I do agree that it feels rushed. This is a this is a rare movie where like I really noticed the editing. They were trying to even trim microseconds out of any sort of close character moments or moments involved character development just to cut back to i mean at one point this is crazy maybe i missed something but at one point police start firing at a military helicopter that cuba gooding jr and dustin hoffman are in after they they deliver a news broadcast and it's like cut in so abruptly and obviously and it makes no sense. And I just thought to myself, like, oh, it's because we haven't heard a gunfire for a while. <laughs> like, <laughs> did any of you catch that moment? Well, no. I mean, it's because they've landed. I mean, I feel like this may be sort of spoiler room shit, but it's because they just landed a fucking helicopter on top of a TV news station and forced their way into the broadcast room at gunpoint and then, like, did a broadcast and then left. Like, they're on the run. I mean, obviously, people are going to be after it's them and trying to shoot a helicopter, them. though. It is like clearly a military well, helicopter. No, like, all right, the police had reason to be there. They were fugitives from the law, etc. But I think it's a good example of just kind of how this movie's just throwing everything and the kitchen sink at you. Um, and I was watching this, and I was like, how much fucking money did they spend on this movie? And I've since looked it up, and it like wasn't quite as much as Jurassic Park, but it looks like a more expensive movie than Jurassic Park because you have fifty million. You have all these A-listers. You have all these locations. You have an entire fucking town you have pretty much every like reserve military vehicle they could find in california helicopter chases uh gratuitous animal training like this shot with the dogs to get in the bath it doesn't even need to be in the damn movie you know <laughs> these cops shooting at the helicopter which is probably a day of shooting and special effects and stunts that didn't need to be in the damn movie um all this stuff and all this makeup and this gratuitous cgi of like air vents and molecules floating around movie theaters and stuff it's like damn enough is enough i did find (laughs) it funny in that moment with the police shooting at the helicopter that here's what i found funny about that is they're shooting with shotguns they're firing at a helicopter from the ground with shotguns that was what i found amusing about that i this is a nice little throwback to the original cut of et i thought yeah they're gonna (laughs) replace the guns with walkie talkies and and the post coronavirus release of this movie (laughs) so i want to go back though to this issue of you know did this movie disturb you or shake you up vis-a-vis current events and i mean for me definitely like these scenes of people filing into quarantine facilities and these makeshift hospital wards with people convulsing and dying on beds. And, you know, some of the weird little, like, very, very supporting, like, side character moments, there are these couple of little vignettes, like, with this family 
of sort of like rednecky people who are like trying to escape the town that the military has has blockaded off and another bit with a mom like leaving her family behind because she's got the virus and she's going to the quarantine facility and essentially saying goodbye to her family as the military shows up to collect her all that stuff i was like fuck this is not really i mean i i found it very effective um and also effective in a way where i was just like i don't really want to be watching this right now because it's too close to what's going on in real life i agree with you in part so obviously given the current events it's a little bit stirring and it's always touching to see people in a movie or something who are like that many people who are just unwittingly doomed to die basically um and you're seeing that i mean it's a titanic gets me for the same reason but like stuff like the redneck chase from the helicopters again that is just another example of like 10 minutes or so spent on just an action subplot that just didn't resonate and i having watched the whole movie i don't even know why it's fucking there it doesn't like support any sort of point that the movie's making it's just spectacle it's like look at this no oh they blew up oh they just killed five americans so big deal never mentioned again it felt to me like they just needed a car chase they thought they needed a car chase at that moment like yeah okay it does reinforce like how severe this quarantine is but it that is not like i feel like the scene is disproportionate to the point that it might be trying to make <laughs> uh, to me it was very effective in in just showing the general unrest in the town and also i mean once again so true to like this bullshit that's going on right now with all these fuckers who are like saying that we should fucking resist the executive orders and shit you know like i mean it was it was almost kind of world building to me it made it feel more real for me it felt like I could see what they were going for, but all of the townspeople just felt like broad caricatures and I didn't really see them as like fully fleshed out human characters. And part of that is just because any moments that involve them are like so ridiculously heightened that I was paying more attention to like the way that it was directed and like the spectacle of it than the performances, which frankly weren't that great. I don't think they, they spent so much money above the line that I don't think they could afford decent, uh, like second tier actors. All that stuff seemed a little cartoonish to me. You know, say what you will about James Cameron, and people can say that James Cameron isn't interested in character or whatever, but you watch a movie like Titanic, and you see how all those little secondary, tertiary characters are are handled in a movie like Titanic. And you compare it to this movie, there's no comparison. You see people dying in Titanic, and you're like, holy shit, I know that guy. Oh no, that was horrible. I can see, though... (laughs) Patrick how you know I was kind of playing this dance you know even though even though I thought this was just like an overblown B movie that I will say I had a lot of fun with you know like the the pan, the current pandemic was on my mind and I think the only scenes that really got to me um, but they would have anyway are just like the close-ups of the you know the pustules on people's faces after they get sick you know like i i, I have yeah, a hard time gross. looking at at that kind of body horror but anything else it, it was very it was very odd to me that it it didn't really strike a chord with me given what's going on right now, but I'm interested to hear that you had that reaction. Yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely hit home and definitely worked for me in light of current events. Something else that I thought was interesting. I don't know. There's a lot of moments in this movie that are exciting. Like some of the ones that we've been talking about that don't really mean anything or have a lot of consequence. And it's just really bizarre to me. And maybe the one that was most bizarre was at the beginning of the movie when 
you know, they go to Africa and Cuban, Cuba Gooding Jr. is introduced as, you know, yeah, he's, he's fresh out of school or whatever, but he knows everything and he's, he's on top of his shit because at first it looks like he might just be an amateur. He's a green guy. Anyway, they go into the camp and see the dead people and stuff and Cuba Gooding freaks the fuck out and starts vomiting inside his hazmat suit and takes his hazmat helmet oh, yeah. off. And everyone's oh, like, yeah. holy shit, you can't do that. And I'm like, oh God, is this how they get it? They just spent all this time telling me how how smart Cuba Gooding Jr. was and now he's going to be the guy who gets infected and brings the shit back to America? No. There is no consequence to that because basically the guy in the village is like, oh, don't worry, we don't think it's airborne. And Dustin Hoffman is like, well, good enough for me and takes his helmet off too. But then it turns um, out to be airborne. And then it turns <laughs> yeah. out to be airborne. No consequence to any of that though. And then it turns out that like, yeah, oh wow, did you know that the virus actually got to America, you know, because there was an Asian person like selling monkeys or something and I was like ah, you know you just showed me these American guys just acting like fucking clowns at the disease site but you're gonna blame this on this like you know Korean freighter or whatever it was there's a lot of misdirects in this movie that are they amount to nothing but they are pretty exciting like I have to say I found all of the anything that was any scene that was intended to be tense really worked for me and yeah. and you know, I was I was having a rollicking good time. Like this is a great popcorn movie, I would say. Yeah. Five bags. Yeah, absolutely. Can we talk about Cuba Gooding Jr. though? Cuba Gooding Jr., you mentioned that he knows everything. He is like a like a Swiss Army man, this Cuba Gooding Jr. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. You need somebody to, to test virus samples. He's your guy. We'll get into some of that. <laughs> <laughs> you need him to fly a chopper. You need him to, like, I mean, I'm surprised he didn't fly it upside down at any point in this movie. You need him to trank a monkey, like... He's That's the other thing. I mean, we'll we'll get more into the monkey stuff in the spoiler room, but this also felt like a '90s movie, and that like it couldn't decide whether or not it just wanted to be an animal movie. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely some animal stuff in it. There's of, all these like spend a lot B-roll more time shots. With, yeah, they spend a lot more time with dogs and monkeys both than like really we need to. Shots that just linger and and we follow the monkey and we want to like empathize with the monkey and follow the monkey on an incredible journey. Dude, I empathize with the monkeys so much. Those monkeys were so cute. I mean, honestly, monkeys may be the best performances in the movie. Phenomenal. Like, the monkey was the MVP, which by which I mean the most valuable primate. Um, (laughs) I mean, at one point, a monkey is like in a little glass cage like convulsing from the virus and i was like oh no i was so sad and then like in the next moment i was also like fuck how did they train that monkey to do that he's giving a phenomenal performance i mean it it was the 90s they might have just poisoned the monkey yeah i mean it's possible yeah we need june die and rayfield here to advocate for monkey rights in this one (laughs) so when chris mentioned the bit with cuba gooding jr like throwing up in his helmet and then taking it off it reminded me i mean this really isn't related much but just the 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 hazmat suits reminded me of the that i guess steady cam shot well not very first but early steady cam shot in the movie as it tracks through the different offices or different sort of um centers at the disease basically the cdc analog in this movie going from like level one which is just like your basic common cold and level two which is you know influenza and all the way up to level four which is where the real shit happens and i was like all right that geography of that facility isn't utilized further really in the movie (laughs) but i liked the way that i felt like i was being led into the shit 
It was extremely Michael Crichton in, in, in the fetishistic detail of containment protocols that we're going to lay out to you at the beginning of our story and that then never nothing. revisit again. And yeah, it was another thing where it's like, I'm like, holy shit, did they spend like $7 million building this yeah. set and then never touch it again? Yeah. It's a cool scene, though. I like it. But it's not the CDC analog. Like, what? that's one thing that confused me about this movie, and we've hinted at it before. Like, we have the CDC. And then we have this weird organization that, I mean, Chris described perfectly as having a bizarre acronym that I was just like, what the fuck when it came out? Yeah. So I think it actually exists. I think it's just not something that we don't have to worry about. Oh, yeah. It's USAMRIID. Oh, wow. It so, is real. <laughs> so it's the United States Army Medical Research Institute of Infectious Diseases. So it does exist. Um, oh, so it's like the Army's version of the CDC. Uh, I guess. Yeah. Hmm. But yeah, the CDC is also in this, and that's where Rene Russo works. Another interesting trivia tidbit about this film is that the 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 prologue in 1967 actually takes place during a real life event called the Kisangani mutinies. And I, I mean, there was, I, as far as I know, there was not actually a virus where the U.S. came in and blew up an entire village to eliminate the virus. But this did take place during an actual event, and. This is an interesting little connection. Uh, that same event, the Kisangani mutinies, is uh, heavily referenced in the song Roland the Headless Thompson Gunner by one of our mutual favorite artists, Warren Zevon. So that was an interesting mm-hmm. little connection. And it's there also for me. referenced in We Didn't Start the Fire in the line really? Belgians in the Congo. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> wow. I will yeah. say this movie, uh, this is probably the last thing I have to say about it before I'm ready to give a review. I don't know about you guys, but it's it's loosely based on, uh, is his name Richard Preston? The book The Hot Zone, yes. which was like, I mean, as I said to Patrick before we started recording, he wasn't familiar with it. I've never read it, but like that book for a while in the 90s was everywhere. Like I feel like I've seen it at every garage sale I've ever gone to. And it's like a nonfiction thriller about um the the particular virus the particular strain of virus in this movie, which is um what do they call it again? Hemorrhagic fever? fever yeah. Um they can, well, they keep calling the virus itself Motaba after the, I think, village that it comes from. The classification is hemorrhagic fever. Yeah, and yeah. this book is about sort of like how uh, – about a particular incident where that spread and also trying to trace it back to its origins. And I kind of want to read it now. I mean it might hit – it will probably hit more close to home than this movie did because I assume it is is very serious and well-researched. <laughs> Uh, but I, th- I think I might finally pick that up. Yeah, I like the idea of a nonfiction thriller, and it's, it apparently follows four different um, outbreaks, I think, three or four different outbreaks. Sounded kind of interesting. Mm. You know, my final note, perhaps, before we go to reviewing it, is Patrick Dempsey plays this fucking, like, grunge Jimbo, <laughs> Jimbo who picks up the <laughs> monkey that's been shipped over from Africa and and is the guy who imports this uh, diseased monkey into the United States, and my God, his performance is ludicrous, and <laughs> it's it's just it's it's it, it was just really funny for some reason seeing a young Patrick Dempsey because he's almost re- like unrecognizable to me to some degree because like Patrick Dempsey kind of has made his bread and butter on being like a hot like slightly older man 
you know? Daddy. He's a daddy. Yeah, he's daddy. Exactly. And so it was kind of weird to see him being like this young punk and also just giving such a ludicrously over-the-top performance. And that oh my god. He's well, First of all, Jimbo is one of the bullies from The Simpsons, which like it just made me laugh because it's such a cartoonish name, but he's got this like <laughs> yeah. crazy pseudo-mullet. He wears a Motorhead t-shirt. I don't know what the fuck that car is he was driving. It's like a Model A or something. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like some shit from Batman the Animated Series. But I will say one of the best um, sequences in the movie for me is like when he gets sick that was one moment thinking back on it that actually felt pretty real to me so he uh, horrifying yeah he gets sick on the airplane and I mean I got really 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 sick a few weeks ago and I I I like so empathized with how fucking miserable he looked and there's a moment where he's uh, he's eating a cookie and he just can't finish it. He's too sick Ugh. and exhausted. He sets it down. This little kid in a sheriff costume comes up and there's this tension about like, oh my God, yes. is he, because he offers the cookie, like the kid asked for the cookie. He says, I'm not going to finish it. And thankfully mom comes up and, and takes him away. Well, and then and he just like kind noted, of exhaustedly says, like Patrick Dempsey is fucking like slumped in his, in his, in, in his seat on the airplane. Like, clammy red-eyed just looking disgusting i've been about that sick on an airplane on a fucking 12-hour flight and so i was totally relating to that guy did you give a kid did you give a kid a cookie no i didn't good but yeah horrifying and then he gets back he gets off the plane and again like even worse once he gets off the plane and his girlfriend meets him at the airport and even though he looks absolutely awful, like grabs him and they just make out furiously as the camera spins around them. And oh man, it's it's, it's gross. gross, like a wide open mouth kissing. Too. Yes. Like they're not even kissing, they're just rubbing their open mouths to, to against each other. Yeah. I'm like, how can she not see what we see? Because he looks like he's fucking dead. Yeah. And I mean, the, uh, and that's another place where this movie is like pretty effective as far as showing the spread and just, I don't know the way people are fucking dumb when they're sick, you know, like the movie theater scene that is also disgusting. Like there's a bunch of people in a movie theater. This guy is just coughing, not covering his mouth. And then we follow like, and and this is actually a pretty good example of like CG in the mid nineties actually being used decently effectively. Like we follow the little particles coming out of his mouth as they like yes. you know blow around the theater and blow past all these other people in the theater and it just uh, it was just chilling and gross and it's kind of cool because imagine watching that in a theater oh god yeah i was thinking the same thing i was like this almost feels like kind of a stunt and they reference it again later too that like that's where the spread really started yeah um yeah, I, I, it was it was a cool sequence, but I also felt like it it was it was a little bit on the on the the um the cheesy side of things. Looking back on it, but it looked like the CG was good because it didn't try and show us like a complex molecule. We're just looking at little like what looked like motes of dust, kind of mm-hmm. wandering around. But can we talk about what the fuck were they watching on the screen? It was like a Looney Tunes cartoon or something from the fifties. Some public domain shit because they ran out of money at that last moment, and everyone is just like cartoonishly howling with laughter. See that that's the shit in this movie, and there's a lot of stuff like that that really took me out of the experience even as i was trying to admire it i'm like yes. oh my god you couldn't have just put like i don't know even like night of the living dead which would have been cheesy as fuck but it would have made sense that people would be in a theater watching it at some point 
Well, listen, I'm I'm gonna open up the reviews then because um, this actually uh, this co- last conversation actually kind of determined my my review because I had no idea what to give this movie. Um, <laughs> Tell us, I, please. I'm gonna give it a cue it, and it's because I'm reminded of the things that I thought were very interesting in the movie, such as this this whole sequence where we're seeing kind of the chain of transmission of this disease in a way that we can follow and we can understand how it's getting out of hand. That was really interesting, and that was well done. All the character stuff was well done while it lasted like i said they kind of half-assed it and and gave more time to random bullshit and i'm not really a fan of that you know dustin hoffman worth the price of admission morgan freeman worth the price of admission uh really good work from renee russo and kevin spacey i mean how, how can you go wrong having this many heavy hitter actors around a script that's not terrible yeah so I'll cue it on that basis. Uh, everything else about the movie kind of annoyed me. <laughs> and that's my review. Huh. <laughs> Steven. Yeah, I'll go next. I'll also give it a cue. It. Um, this movie is, let's get this straight. I had a fucking blast with it. I mean, it's big. <laughs> it's dumb. It's so, I mean, for me, it didn't, it was so just broad and ridiculous Though, you know, I mean, everyone involved is committing to it. So, like, like it's not, it's not terrible. And, but because of like the broadness, it didn't hit very close to home for me. So I feel like if you're going to watch a, a movie about a pandemic in quarantine, I think this one's a pretty safe bet. Uh, if you want to scare the fuck out of yourself and see a much better movie that still has some moments that are a little bit ridiculous, go watch Contagion. But yeah, this was a good time. I don't regret having finally sat down to watch it and spend two hours, especially because the box art has haunted me my entire life. I don't think I mentioned that earlier. This is a movie I've always been a little bit kind of, kind of afraid to see. Is it the same as the, the movie poster? Yeah, and it's terrible, but I think it was the so it's like it's like a red and black background with the title yeah. and then then like the three principal cast members in little squares and then in the lower right a square of like the monkey. Yeah. Like shrieking, and the the little monkey in the red background always freaked me out as a kid, and I was I was afraid of this movie. I can safely say it's not really that scary. It's actually quite a fun roller coaster. Yeah. God, I miss movie posters that had just the faces of the cast in little squares on it. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, yeah, again very quaint. <laughs> yeah, it's like the three stacked heads of Hoffman, Russo, and Freeman on the left hand side, and then on the right hand side in the middle, just the monkey's face, like teeth bared mouth wide open facing the opposite direction of the lead so that it's like screaming directly at them it's such a weird poster but i mean also how else are you going to visually represent this movie you know i mean actually never mind i just thought of like three different ways to do it yeah yeah i was gonna say we could do a brainstorming session (laughs) first of all hire a graphic designer All right, one, one more thing before we go to the spoiler realm. That well, I, Patrick I, has to review it, yeah, too. Hopefully, oh, oh, yeah. hopefully oh, one yeah. of the things is my review. <laughs> all, right, pa- all right, Patrick, go ahead. Um, I, I'm going to give it a view. It. I, I agree with Steven that uh, Contagion is a much better and much more effective movie. I fucking love that movie. I've been meaning to rewatch it since this whole COVID thing went down. But I think I may have almost enjoyed this movie more in the end because of the current circumstances. Because as I said, it did in that first maybe half or two thirds occasionally hit me a little too hard as far as seeming a little too real and a little too similar to the current 
situation, but that almost made me appreciate that final act just going completely off the rails into these insane, improbable heroics that we're going to describe in the spoiler room. And it was kind of like this escape from that, the, the real world shit, the stuff that felt too real. And it was exactly what I needed. Like I needed a big dumb helicopter chase and like a ridiculously simple, simple solution to this whole situation. And it was a lot of fun. I just, yeah, I, as Steven said, it's a good popcorn kind of thing. And I think if you're going to watch a pandemic movie during this actual horrifying real life pandemic, this is the one to watch. Okay. Well, I can appreciate the ending on, on those levels. What I was going to say was that when you have a movie that sets itself up to where the big problem is like, how are we going to identify and contain and, and cure this virus? I want a smarter solution to that problem than what we get. And something that just <laughs> doesn't completely break the limits of my imagination. Oh yeah. I mean the actual solution, <laughs> which I mean, we're about to get into is it's bullshit it's absolutely <laughs> ludicrous it's hilarious it is hilarious it's like, don't sell me on don't make me learn the four steps of quarantine protocol at the fucking usa army research institute infection disease control center and then give me that solution to this problem mm-hmm. anyway yeah more I, on that in a bit i do <laughs> i do think that maybe i would have perhaps not enjoyed the movie as much if not under these current circumstances but i was just like yeah fucking give me this wild escapist finale that's exactly what i need right now and yeah. and i don't and think- it, it works as that i can totally appreciate that it didn't work for me on that level but i i can appreciate it because actually dealing with this pandemic is like pretty banal you know like i want to see some heroics i want to see some shit blow up right now yeah yeah Exactly. That, that, that was why I enjoyed it. You can always just watch The Andromeda Strain if you want to see a disease movie that takes place totally in the lab and is very you know meticulous about its science. Yeah, and I don't, I, I don't feel like that's ever going to be what I want out of a pandemic story. <laughs> it's not what anyone wants. <laughs> well, I don't think we can talk about this uh, fucking climax anymore without going down to the spoiler room, so uh, let's, let's get to it, shall we? All right, see you guys down there. All right, bye. Welcome back, everybody. We are in the top secret uh, level four containment zone spoiler room here to spoil everything from Outbreak. Level one is moderate, moderate spoilers like, you know, Kevin Spacey's in this movie. Level two, uh, semi moderate spoilers like, you know, there, there's a monkey that brings the disease to America. Level uh, three, level, advanced level spoilers three. like Kevin Spacey is a piece of shit who gets me to 25 years later. And then level four, where we give you the good shit, and that's what we're about to spill. Can I ask a question? about this movie i want to pose a question to you guys it's pretty serious Um, a glaring omission what about the economy 
<laughs> yeah, what about the economy of Cedar Creek, California? <laughs> like, they're, they're shutting all these people down. Are they getting paid? Is there a stimulus package for this small town? I was a little worried about them. <laughs> Dude, I was horrified by the scenes of, like, the people just, like, coming out and raging against the military. And no one getting shot, you know? It's like, in real life, some people would have gotten fucking shot. Because people are just constantly running out in the streets, disorderly as fuck, like, screaming at the military and the CDC people. Um, and then, and later in the film, there's like a curfew tanks are rolling through the streets. That was another thing that hit home for me too much. I was like, fuck, you know, how close are we to this shit happening? Yeah. You got, are they, the people do get pretty fucked up though. Like somebody gets like butted in the face with a rifle at one point. <laughs> oh yeah. I was just like, man, more than this would happen if people tried this in real life. Anyways, let's talk about monkeys. Because they're adorable. Basically, they well, a specific monkey is the the MacGuffin. He's the he's the sun around which the climax of this movie orbits, and that's the most labored metaphor I've come up with in a while. Well, he's not a MacGuffin because he actually does serve a purpose. First, we have to presume, and I don't know anything about virology, so what the fuck do I know? But first we have to presume that if you find the host organism that brought this disease to America and was immune to it, you will find antibodies in that creature's blood that you can uh, duplicate to create a cure that will magically cure all the patients of this virus, even though the virus has already liquefied most of their organs. Well, and you can do all of this in a matter of minutes, apparently. You can do it in minutes. You can make thousands of gallons of the of of the antivirus from in a like field five lab, minutes. and yeah. <laughs> and you don't have to wait eighteen months to see if the antibodies actually kill people. You don't like do you any do testing at all. You don't do any testing. You just literally put the straw in like a Capri Sun and slurp it down, <laughs> and you're fine. I mean, let's let's break down the chain of events by which they get to this fucking monkey because it is insane. Like, let me let me just say again to, to my earlier point give me a movie about an outbreak that seems to be a cerebral film for the first at least hour of the movie and then the climax is like cuba gooding jr like hiding behind a tree trying to line up a shot on a fucking monkey that's talking to a little girl and it's just played so seriously it's like the fucking end of donnie brasco when like johnny depp like is like has to do his first hit and he doesn't want to pull the trigger well the way we find out that this little girl has had contact with the monkey is so it's like a horror movie trope almost like it's like the trope where like oh, it's yeah. like the imaginary friend that that's somehow connected to like real world events that have affected the child like oh they've had these mysterious scratches showing up and who's and we that? know who's it's real weird? because she drew a very crude sketch of the monster that she sees outside oh the window yes what's no, fucking but- hilarious is when the monkey's on tv and the mom who's also holding a dinner plate in her hand which i thought was hilarious because it's only there so she can throw it down dramatically <laughs> she, 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 she looks at the tv at the monkey and then then to the crude drawing and then back and forth again and it's like oh fuck that's it that looks exactly like my child's crayon drawing right but that's only like step three or four in this insane process like first let's back up to the beginning first fucking dust i mean i don't even know if this is first but prior to that dustin hoffman and cuba gooding jr fly out to this ship that the monkey was imported over on which i don't even understand how they like 
put that together. But they get out to the ship and they can't land on the ship. So Cuba Gooding Jr. just pulls the helicopter like really close to the ship and Dustin Hoffman jumps out onto a lifeboat and then like basically does that thing where you know, you're talking to someone who speaks a different language than you and they don't know your language. And so you just yell at them louder to make yes. them understand. <laughs> That's basically Dustin Hoffman's approach to talking to these these gentlemen. I, I forget what uh, nationality they are. There's a Korean are. flag Korean, on the ship. Yeah. I, thought, I thought they said it was a Chinese ship, but there was a Korean flag on it. I'm going to go with it's a Korean boat. So he manages to trace the... Like the the de- there's a dead crew member on the ship, and he manages to trace that back to that guy's bunk by like yelling at the Korean captain of the ship, and he figures out what the monkey is by going to this guy's bunk and finding like this guy has like bungee corded to the the underside of his upper bunkmate's bunk. He has a uh, like a Polaroid photo of the monkey and himself with the monkey, which is, which like, is just merchandise to him. Right. <laughs> Why was this monkey so meaningful to him that he has a picture of it like taped literally where other people on the ship have pictures of their wives or girlfriends like taped just to the upper Just before you sold it to animal testing. Right. It's a ticket to a better life for him. It's a paycheck. So he likes to lay in bed and jerk off. To he, it at he, night, he, I guess. he documented it for tax purposes. <laughs> Can we talk about how Dustin Hoffman, like, I mean, the whole thing with the helicopter and him jumping the lifeboat is so absurd and it goes on for so long. But he goes onto this ship that has, like, fucking patient that had patient zero on it at some point with no protection. He's getting way too close to everyone, including the body of the one person who died from the virus. And there's been so much like almost fetishistic attention to the hazmat suits throughout the movie. Like there's one, I mean, actually sort of surprisingly tense scene where Kevin Spacey and Dustin Hoffman are suiting up. And all of a sudden Kevin Spacey notices that, Hoffman has a tear in his suit and like tapes it Uh up for him. And that's a surprisingly like, and I I think it's mostly in Hoffman's performance. Like you can tell he's shook by the fact that he almost went into the like containment facility or whatever with this tear in his suit. And there's so much attention to those suits throughout the movie. And so, yeah, I, I thought of the same thing when he was on that ship and he's just walking around in his fucking army fatigues with no protection at all around this corpse that had, the virus. Also, how did no one else on the ship get the virus? I mean, it's been proven that it's highly contagious, and this guy is the only guy on the ship who got the virus? Um, because I think he had the original strain that didn't mutate into the airborne one or something. Oh. I don't know. You That's know? right, because there are two strains. Right. There's like the original one that was conceived as a biological weapon, but it's mutated into a new strain that has spikes on it that, that is airborne. Right. And I found all of that to be kind of muddled and confusing me too me too but anyways they get the fucking jerk off polaroid of the monkey and this is done when they take the tv station hostage as we talked about earlier and this i also found just and and again i i'm going to describe this in ways that sound negative but i was entertained you know i again i this is a view it for me But Dustin Hoffman breaks into a TV station and just with the ultimate seriousness and gravitas, like holds up this Polaroid of the monkey and beseeches the cameraman to zoom in on the monkey and then gives a description of the monkey as though he's describing like a crime suspect (laughs) and then cut to the mom, as you guys described before, like realizing that the, the crayon drawing her daughter is made of her supposedly imaginary monkey friend in the woods is actually the monkey. 
Which we know from the moment the daughter talks about the oh, monkey. I'm like, oh, well, that's it. Like, of course. <laughs> but it's so crazy like how we get that, and then everything we've just described happens to get to that moment. Again, it's like a totally wasted, like, 15 to 20 minutes of this movie i think and then we have I mean, this. wasted but it is fun and you know what i will say dustin hoffman out this movie doesn't work without dustin hoffman no. not only is he great in the role but he's he's unlikely enough as an action hero that it's very it, it's a lot more interesting to watch him like jumping from a helicopter onto a boat versus if it were someone who you would expect to do that sort of thing. Right. And I well, think and he's like, he is like an unlikely action hero, like as an actor, but also his character who for one is like fucking like cracked out on caffeine for this entire movie. <laughs> he's right. always like at 110%, but he still says like dorky stuff, like diddly squat and zip. You know, and he's, he's a believable scientist, you know? And and so it's it's I don't know it's it's really fresh for me to see that guy kind of in a role where he's storming into the TV station with a gun, but then he's like you know talking to people in pretty uh, normal like you know or, or he's talking to people in a very intelligent way and, and using like clinical language and stuff. He's very believable as a military scientist. I, I think that's kind of part of what I was trying to say before when I was trying to describe the type of like 90s movie this is that I feel they don't make quite as much anymore and you get so many of these movies where there's like this super capable like super macho hero you know again that like Jack Reacher or whatever fucking Ethan Ethan Hunt kind of mold and like I appreciate that Dustin Hoffman's character isn't super like traditionally masculine action hero, but also isn't a stereotypical, you know, pushing his glasses up on his nose nerd. You're right. That is a that was a huge trend in the nineties. <laughs> I'm just realizing that. Like you look at like Patriot Games and Clear and Present Danger, and it's like Harrison Fort Jack Ryan was like an analyst, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. He was supposed to be a pencil pusher. He just happened to be Harrison Ford. Yeah, it was kind of more of that everyman vibe. I feel like this role was written for like a Harrison Ford type though, but it was made more believable by having Dustin often play it because he is like, he is pretty macho and he doesn't take shit and he's screaming at his boss for like an eighth of this movie. <laughs> like it's, it, but it, it somehow works because it's him playing that character. But I feel like on the page, he's just like any one of those guys. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I mean, and, and this brings me perfectly to like the next stage in this crazy ass progression that we go through to finally get this cure is Dustin Hoffman has this scene where he has to like talk the little girl into showing him where yes. the monkey is, which is just such an absurd concept and, a, and an absurd setup for a scene. But Hoffman fucking nails it, you know? Yeah. And he says, I'm, I'm not going to hurt the monkey. And you know what? If I do hurt the monkey, you can punch me in the <laughs> yeah. nose. And then he pauses. And I think this was ad libbed. And then he says, it's a, a serious punch for a serious nose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought that was ad libbed too. <laughs> and I, I was just like, all right. He, you know, he took some time to build repartee with this like little kid actress and and it works it's great it's a great scene i mean it's a great fucking stupid scene that's describes a lot of this movie 
Yeah, and the scene that follows, where as you mentioned, you know, Cuban Cuba Gooding Jr. <laughs> fucking tranks the monkey. I I was watching it and I was just like, oh, it would be fucking hilarious if he missed and just tranked the little girl instead of the monkey. <laughs> <laughs> that would that would make this movie a view it. <laughs> oh, but he does he does stumble on a rock as he goes to yeah. like fire the shot. Of course he does because it's a '90s action movie. <laughs> but also, again, this is another one of those scenes that's like weirdly. I, I mean. I found it sort of ridiculous, but also I bought into the tension almost oh, yeah. like against totally. my will. I was like, oh, my God, is he actually going to successfully tranquilize the monkey at the same time? I was going, why is he hiding behind a fucking bush? Like, just follow the little girl out there. Like, the monkey but, will still like, come the out. The suspense, I think the suspense in that scene was supposed to come from our fear that the monkey was going to bite the little girl. Oh, I was a little worried about that, too. And so I couldn't really tell where the suspense was supposed to be. I didn't really care if the monkey bit the little girl, to be honest. I was like, well, we're going to shoot the monkey and make a cure. So (laughs) that's really important. Otherwise, 22,000 people are going to get nuked. Yeah. And I mean, I guess we haven't set up that context. Like, that's the other big, like, kind of thing that's happening in the in the third act is that Donald Sutherland is prepared to just nuke this town where the virus has been contained in order to save the rest of the United States, basically. Right. As explained by like another gratuitous, like $6 million scene in the fucking cabinet room. JT Walsh Walsh plays the fucking chief of staff. Yeah. (laughs) Throw it. I mean, like literally pulling out a copy of the constitution and throwing it on the table as he delivers his monologue. And throwing out pictures of the victims as well. Yeah. yeah. Saying, you better burn these into your fucking memories. Again, like a great scene. It, it felt like, I don't know what it felt like. It felt like something that would be in a stage play or something. And there's a lot of scenes like that where I'm like, yes, just give me all these like dialogue scenes. You know, what can you do? Yeah. And the dialogue is so snappy in this movie too. I mean, it's like very heightened in Hollywood, but it, it just, it yeah. sings. I loved it. Yeah. So we get down to brass tacks in the end, which is uh, Dustin and Cuba literally facing down the plane that's supposed to deliver the nuke. Oh, and also having a big chase with Donald oh, yeah. Sutherland. There's a big chase with, with like two them. helicopters chasing Donald Sutherland's in a helicopter. Two big military helicopters are chasing their little helicopter through all these valleys, under bridges, through the forest, doing 180s, all kinds of crazy hijinks. It's like, okay. All which, right. which also it's prompts- wild and really well choreographed too like i enjoyed that chase even as ridiculous as it was it was stupid and again made better because you have you know dustin hoffman as sort of an everyman who's like oh whoa 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 i, I, I don't know this, uh, this is a uh, hand are you sure about this <laughs> it's like okay that's cool <laughs> it's not like you know tom cruise i wanted in that scene it just felt really star wars to me for some reason and i really wanted the monkey to get up in between cuba getting jr and dustin hoffman and like cheer along with them like chewbacca as they were evading better movie i mean i don't know i guess i would have preferred if the smarter parts of this movie were smarter and the dumber parts were dumber yeah i agree with that this the helicopter chase prompts one of my absolute favorite lines in the entire movie where like donald sutherland is insisting that dustin hoffman stand down and dustin hoffman says sir with all due respect 
uh, what does he say? Is it fuck you or fuck off? I forget yeah, what it is. It's just, one of the few. It almost feels like one of those like token fucks in a PG-13 movie, but it is an R-rated movie, but it's still just a big fuck moment, you know? Yeah, it is a big, <laughs> big fuck moment. This feels like a PG-13 movie, though. Yeah. Oh, like, absolutely. It has these like horrific visuals and quite a few F-bombs, which gives it that R rating. But then it's like... Do R-rated movie audiences want to like see this like weird family drama and the monkey drama and the dog drama and the stuff that just seems like it's out of a family film? It's a, it's a lot. It's weird. This movie, yeah. I don't Yeah, there were many times where I've wondered what the fuck like who this was intended for. I don't know. But they did it. So yeah, so the, so the the bombers coming in, and so then there's just this big thing where they're basically appealing to the better angels of the pilots, I guess, or something, and they're playing chicken with them, and then the pilots kind of disobey their orders. But I mean, I don't know. We all want to believe we live. I don't know. Do we want to live in a world where we got military people just doing whatever they fucking want, or do we want to live in a world where they blindly follow authority? I don't know which one's better than the other. I'd rather do without them entirely. I think that's the easiest well, solution. But <laughs> that's another, that's yeah, another conversation. No, it is, it is very strange, though. Like, I, I did feel conflicted about that myself. I'm like, I mean, one, it just seems so fucking improbable that Dustin Hoffman got as far as he did in had like the gusto to go as far as he did in this movie he should have been fired in like the second scene right he should have been fired in the second scene arrested in the third scene hanged in the fifth scene (laughs) well i mean that's why we have movies instead of real life also the the line is so donald sutherland says with all due respect colonel daniels if you do not follow us to travis air force base i will blow you out of the sky dustin hoffman says general with all due respect Fuck you, sir. Yeah, I love that he added <laughs> sir to the end of that. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking great. Sure, it's fun. But yeah, the bomb ends up going into the ocean or something. and, and uh, Might have been the wind. I don't know. They, you know? they arrest Donald Sutherland or something. I don't know. It's it's, it's was, all a it's all They arrest blur. Donald Sutherland. Oh, yeah, that's a we, great Ren- scene. Renee Russo gets sick at one point, but then she gets the, she gets the vaccine. Oh. oh, God, yeah. The biggest dog food moment in the movie, which I love, is just when... <laughs> He's there, and and Dustin Hoffman takes off his fucking oh, hazmat suit that. so she can touch his face. Oh, I love you know what yeah. though. You know what though, Chris, We have to talk about that scene because again, I have this narrative in my mind that he's terrible to her throughout most of this movie and puts her in situations of danger that she doesn't really need to be in. It just felt creepy to me. It, it worked for me. I really didn't feel that way, and I was kind of more conscious through this whole movie than I would like to be about Dustin Hoffman's uh, abuse allegations and how this whole movie is kind of a parade of uh, Me Too uh, celebrities. But, yeah, um, that occurred so to me should... as well. We've got Dustin Hoffman, we've got Cuba Gooding Jr., we've got uh, Spacey. Kevin Spacey, of course, and Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman, disappointingly. And, and so well, I guess we should put an asterisk on all our high praise of all these actors and performances. I don't know. I don't know what to do with all that information. <laughs> I don't know what to do, but I am, I am it is really interesting to me that you guys didn't have the same read on on Dustin Hoffman and Rene Russo's relationship. Like I will say for listeners, your mileage may vary on that. That was just my take. It made me feel kind of uncomfortable, but uh I mean, alone they, on that, they, and that's fine. if they hadn't established that they'd been married and stuff, I might have read it differently. But my read on it was that these guys 
have been married and they have a real they have disagreements and the personality clashes that may go back to domestic issues or whatever so it's like if they're sparring if they're being nasty to each other it might just be because they don't like each other not because you know he's trying to exert power over her or whatever i I mean i i don't know i i just didn't see that thread in the relationship i don't i don't know why we're harping on it but everything uh, we're everything's uh well that ends well they synthesize the monkey blood into a vaccine and they cure everybody who's been sick even though it looked like everyone was about to die i mean we see renee russo we know that this virus liquefies your internal organs and it looks Mm -hmm. like a bomb went off when they do the autopsy (laughs) so like you know renee russo is like looks like she's at death's door but they're just gonna give her this iv and she's gonna be all better okay fine whatever um kevin spacey i guess dies yes that happened off screen i was wondering about that like (laughs) he happens off screen we hear we hear dustin hoffman tell morgan freeman that he died and that's like the first time we see like a flash of compassion in morgan freeman's eyes where he realizes like oh it's really Uh, this is real it's touched one of us yeah another thing that was kind of just glossed over real quick so that they could get on with the antics well and why did renee russo i mean for the purpose of the screenplay i don't really understand why she got sick it because it only it builds up to that final emotional scene as emotional for some but not particularly for me but like there's really no reason for that to happen because dustin hoffman is like he is down to like fight this thing to the death no matter what happens whether she gets sick or not like that's what we've learned about him but it's i mean it's just the classic it's like why mary jane always gets kidnapped it's it's basically you're just aligning all of the conflicts in our protagonist's life around the same event yeah it's i mean i i i kind of understand it's it's just hollywood screenwriting it's not my bag but i will say about this everybody else seems to get sick and like fucking die immediately or like very close to immediately she never really gets like the severe symptoms. you know her face gets a little red but she never gets the pustules she seems to be laying in bed and doing okay for like a very long time i I feel like if these if these are really scientists maybe they should have studied like why why she seemed like semi-immune to the virus yeah i don't know i wish the movie had just taken a little more risks you know when you have that many i saw it when you see that many a-listers you're like well you i know an a-lister is gonna die and it's gonna be exciting and i mean we get kevin spacey dying but it's kind of doesn't really hit very heavy uh, but I like say, imagine if renee russo we just had to watch her like wither and rot and die from from this disease or oh something. no i wanted her to no she needs to be saved as hollywood as this movie is i do have to say now that i'm thinking back on it there was a moment where i thought maybe she would die so yeah. you know it, i guess it, it's it sort of works i don't know i took the bait but it's bait nonetheless i wanted her to be saved too it's just you know i wanted the movie to i guess surprise me more i yeah i didn't need to be i mean i i guess that goes back to kind of my reason for giving it a view it is just i didn't want to be fucking surprised we, there's enough fucking surprises around this kind of shit in real life right now so i was embracing and, and and i mean embracing the fact that it did bring me up to the brink of thinking oh you know for a split spe- a split second or two i did think oh maybe renee russo will die but that it gave me the happy ending i need the fucking happy ending let me have my happy ending chris god damn it all right, so I mean that was outbreak. I feel like we could talk about this a little bit longer, uh, but I think we've said enough. Let us know what yeah, you if thought. You need of more it. outbreak in your life? Just open the window, <laughs> let, take a look, <laughs> take a look around. Yeah, let let us know what you thought. Let us know if it, you know, like Patrick seems to have been uh, 
pretty affected by this movie given what's going on right now. Let us know if you feel the same way or if you don't. Uh, troll us. We might troll you back. Buy our t-shirt. And also, if you want a list of X-Files episodes that relate to pandemics and outbreaks, please drop us a line. I would love to recommend some. I already recommended some to my sister. Uh, and, you know, guys, uh, listeners, after we put out a call for reviews, they've just been flooding in, and we love it. Some are positive, some are negative. We appreciate love it all. all. It helps get the word out about the show, but it also helps us kind of pause to reflect on uh, the work we're doing here and how we might uh, better serve you if we decide to take your opinions uh, into account which we may or may not do. (laughs) (laughs) And also don't just stop at the reviewing, you know, subscribe to the podcast, follow us on your social media. We're at Amoncast, E-H-M-O-N cast on all your social networks. And if you want to uh, show your love for the cast to the world in a whole other way, you can go to our website, everyhorrormovieonnetflix.com, click on the merch store link, and you can go get t-shirts and coffee cups and, all kinds of other random shit with our logo on it. And tell your friends about us because, I mean, let's be honest, who doesn't love it when one of our friends recommends a podcast to us? Yeah. Don't we all just jump on that immediately? Every time, immediately. Immediately. Especially if they just text me a link to an episode. I listen to it right away. (laughs) Especially if it's like the 25th, 26th, 50th episode, yep. you know, not near the beginning so I can get context. So I like you to don't just know get dropped right into going it. On. You hear people talk about Jay, and you don't know what the fuck's going on. <laughs> oh my god, guys, stop burying this in cynicism. Just listeners, yeah, tell your friends. <laughs> Jesus Christ, don't listen to these two. <laughs> so all what right, the hell are right. we doing? What the hell are we watching for the next episode? So, you know, basically all bets are off. All laws are stricken from the books here at Amon lately. You know, we usually have this format we follow for how we're going to pick what movie to watch next. And of course, we completely deviated from the format this time by watching uh, a movie that wasn't even technically horror on Netflix, of all things. And for our next episode, we're going to do something even wilder. Long-term, long-time listeners may remember that uh, a little while ago, we did an episode where we reviewed every Halloween movie ever. None of those were even on Netflix. I think it's fair to say, guys, it was an experience, right? It was definitely an experience. Yeah, one I'll never live down. That will never live down and perhaps will also never live up to. But we're going to kind of do the same thing again, because right now, almost all the Final Destination movies are on Netflix. So, On our next episode, we are going to bring you review and discussion of every Final Destination movie ever. There are only four on Netflix right now, but we're also going to watch the fifth one, too, just to round things out, and we're going to we're gonna break them all down. I have a lead on the fifth one. I have, I'm talking to a guy, a freighter's coming in from Korea tomorrow. He's got a copy of Final Destination 5 on Blu-ray for me. Oh, God. He's, uh, he's going to give it to a guy in San Diego. He's going to get on a plane to Boston, from Boston to Detroit, and I'm going to meet him um, at a movie theater, and we're going to make the exchange. So that probably and, I feel really good about this. So that probably means right about now he's jerking off to a Polaroid of Final Destination 5 in his bunk on the ship right now. Could be. Could be. All right. Well. Hope he sanitizes afterward. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Well, yeah. So uh, we're going to bring you five movies for the price of one next time. Uh, You know, we all have some additional time on our hands during this quarantine. So what else are we fucking going to do except watch every Final Destination movie ever together. Sounds great, right? Sounds fantastic. All right. 
Well, I'm uh, sort of looking forward to it. It could be the final destination for all three of us. I feel like they're all going to blur together. My perception of Final Destination is that it's they're not as much movies as series of skits about people dying <laughs> no. in Rube Goldberg ways. <laughs> but each one has a very distinctive setting from the couple I've seen. Like They do stand apart from each other. Okay, great. So I have watched three of them already, and I think oh. I I think I hew closer to Chris's <laughs> definition of them than Steven's. But I'm actually going to go back and rewatch the three that I've already watched, just so hey, that I make better. sure I can have a distinct discussion about each of them, and not just be like, "Oh yeah, remember when the big thing fell on his head and smushed him?" <laughs> yeah. All, All right. right. Well, anyways, that's next time on every horror movie on Netflix. Uh, hopefully, it will not be the final destination for the three of us. But until then, I'm Patrick. I'm Chris. I'm Steven. And we will see you next time. And until then, with all due respect, fuck you, sir. And stay safe, everybody. Everybody.